Your attention, please. The Walt Disney World Railroad, now boarding for a scenic trip around the Magic Kingdom. Board. The Sci-Fi Diamond Theater in Disney's Hollywood Studios is going to start serving breakfast in November. And uh, this seems like kind of a trend. Uh, Be Our Guest in Fantasyland just started serving breakfast not too long ago. And um, I think it's good to have breakfast in the parks. Usually, uh, at least to my knowledge, breakfast has been pretty much a resort-only type thing. Not a whole lot of restaurants in the parks themselves actually opened early. Seems strange to me, though, that it's Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater uh, in Hollywood Studios. Right. So right now, the only place in uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios that serves breakfast is Hollywood and Vine. And they do the, uh, I think they call it the play-and-dine breakfast or whatever. Um, and it's the Playhouse Disney characters, uh, character dining experience. And it's a, uh, it's a buffet style breakfast and everything. And so I, while I think Hollywood studios definitely needs, uh, another breakfast spot. Yeah. Sci-fi was a, was a bit of a weird choice when I saw that one come up. Cause I was thinking, you know, I, I don't know, Brown Derby. I don't know if it would be a good fit. Like I said, I just, I feel like fifties primetime would be a really good fit for a breakfast. Cause it already has that kind of kitchen feel and everything to it. Um, yeah, that I think would transition really easily into a breakfast. Uh, that being said, I, I have nothing against them adding another place to get breakfast because as you said, most places weren't open. I mean, um, I'm thinking Epcot, you know, you might've been able to go get breakfast at like sunshine seasons. I know fountain view did breakfast. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so yeah, counter service and stuff, you might be able to get stuff. Um, but yeah, a, a good table service experience for breakfast was always a lot harder. And it's interesting now that um, with both Be Our Guest and with Sci-Fi Dine-In, you're not just getting breakfast, but you're getting non-character dining breakfasts, which if you had a breakfast, again, with uh, Hollywood and Vine, and I'm thinking about, you know, Ocker House in uh, Epcot, that was the kind of breakfast you got was a character dining experience breakfast. And, you know, if I was, if I'm going to go eat breakfast at Hollywood Studios, um, really pricing wise, you're only saving about six bucks to go to sci-fi dine in over Hollywood and Vine. Cause Hollywood and Vine is $29.99 uh, for a breakfast buffet. Whereas sci-fi dine in is going to be $23.99 for adults. Uh, and it will include an appetizer, an entree and a non-alcoholic beverage. Um, so, you know, I don't know for six bucks, you know, getting a, uh, buffet might seem like a better deal, but for me, I do not have a small child. And so I might go to Sci-Fi Dine-In just to avoid the uh, the controlled insanity that is a character dining experience at, at Walt Disney World Resort. I kind of wish that they were testing this as a buffet. I know that Sci-Fi Dine-In isn't really built for that, um, and that would kind of be chaotic in itself, having people getting in and out of these um, cars and trying to go get food. But I think that breakfast is especially good at being a buffet even more so than lunch or dinner is and i don't know i just i wish that it would there was an adult oriented breakfast buffet because like even in the resorts when you go for breakfast in my experience there's usually mostly uh families i guess when you have a kid you're more likely to want breakfast i don't know uh but i've noticed that it's mostly families with children is that more so that 
you're more likely to get breakfast or kids actually choose to eat regularly. Unlike us adults who have really bad habits, kids are going to be hungry in the morning and they're going to eat in the morning and you don't want a uh, upset child. So you're going to go and eat breakfast. I think that, I think that might be more it, but, uh, but yeah, I would like, I would, I would like to have a, a breakfast buffet instead of a table service thing because yeah, 30 bucks for a buffet is insanely expensive but when you're talking thirty dollars for what is the all you care to enjoy um versus twenty four dollars for a table service kind of experience i mean a buffet just is seems much more valuable so i'm thinking even with something like uh in the polynesian at the kona when you go you know get your tonga toast it's not a buffet of tonga toast but you know that but that is a very well-known breakfast spot so i think that there is some there, there is some precedent for having breakfast that isn't buffet. I'm, I am like you. I want to get, uh, you know, a big hearty breakfast in me, so that way I can eat a, you know, light lunch and, uh, preferably even a light dinner a lot of times, especially at Disney because I'm just so exhausted, uh, by the day. But at the same time, I mean, uh, you know, uh, again, this was all covered by the uh, Disney Parks blog. The food that they're the food they're talking about sounds pretty tasty because you know they're saying examples of appetizers would be uh, yogurt parfait or some fresh fruit. Whatever, I'll I'll get one of those. But the uh, the entrees are saying you know pe- puff pastry filled with scrambled eggs, crab asparagus, and Gruyere uh, with roasted tomatoes and avocado, or grilled beef tenderloin on baby spinach with bacon and cheddar custard on a roast uh, on a roasted tomato with cheesy horseradish potatoes. I'm sorry, and, and here's the thing. I know Disney's really good at, exp- at you know, they're, they're using all the right words. I'm hungry right now. I would, <laughs> I would, you know what, if somebody wants to bring me a plate of that right now, I will sit down and eat that, because that sounds tasty to me. Um, but so, does that sound like a sci-fi giant in theater meal to you? I don't think, I don't think it, ha- I mean, I don't think it has to be, because here's the thing. You've already broken, you're not, you don't go, you don't go eat breakfast at a dine-in. At a at a uh, drive-in, you know, so yeah, so the so that part of the magic is broken at that point anyway. I think honestly, so why not? Let's have good food, you know. Yeah, that just I mean, it just seems like a California Grill type of of meal to me, and it seems like something in Hollywood Studios. At a restaurant that's not, it's known to have good food, but it's not known to have like fine dining kind of food. To come in with a puff pastry filled with scrambled eggs and Gruyere. I mean, it just, I, you said Brown Derby earlier. That sounds like food that would be at the Hollywood Brown Derby. Uh, yes. Not it's a sci fi dine in theater. I would assume, or I would think that they would have like omelets, you know, or pancakes or some, something a little simpler. It doesn't really jibe with with that restaurant to me and it kind of just feels like tacked on well and that's and that's just a portion of the menu they also uh you know suggest uh scrambled eggs bacon sausage and breakfast potatoes platter uh shrimp and grits uh egg white omelet with shiitake mushrooms and caramelized onions with uh roasted garlic fingerling potatoes uh, or even on the sweet side of things uh macadamia crusted brioche french toast with mascarpone and fresh berries, or your uh, standard Mickey waffle with a side of bacon or sausage. So, you know, it feels like they're just trying to just cover the entire uh, range here, which 
I, I do agree with you. I, I like my Disney restaurants to to go with their theme. Um, I don't want to get my uh, my La Cellier steak with the with with everything with poutine? all the yeah with poutine and you know my cheddar and and beer cheese soup at fifties prime time. Nor do I want to go to La Cellier and get you know the fried chicken that I can go get at fifties prime time. So yeah, I agree right. that I don't want crossover there. But on the other hand, when there is only one restaurant. In Disney's Hollywood Studios, that is serving breakfast right now. With the uh, again, that is not a character dining buffet style thing. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more okay with them opening it up, uh, recognizing that you're going to have people coming in here with a lot of different tastes. They don't have any other options for where to go get breakfast. So let's make sure that everybody can be happy. I think it's kind of my feeling. Now, if this expands to all of the restaurants, then I then I think I agree a little bit more. Maybe at that point you should start to focus on what your restaurant is supposed to represent and serve food that matches with that. Does their uh, lunch and dinner menu contain sci-fi related things? Well, I've I've been there once before and uh you know, here's the here's kind of the thing. For me, the sci-fi dining was not that special anyway. Um I've been I've actually been meaning to give it another shot, but no, not really. I mean, uh, you know, I, I took a look at their at their lunch and dinner menu, and you know, it's it's burgers, steak, ribs, uh, salmon, chicken. You know, again, Disney kind of tries to to cover everything. I think for for their sci fi dine in feel, you know, that drive in feel, really the you know they've got their picnic burger, uh, which just sounds crazy to me because it's a burger patty topped with a hot dog topped with sauerkraut sauteed onions that that's a lot of food on there um you know and maybe their vegetarian shepherd's pie sci-fi style which i don't know how you get sci-fi style out of there <laughs> uh but you know they it's like they went oh wait we're, we're the sci-fi dine-in so let's put the word sci-fi style at the end um so i mean outside of that you know do you think of going to a drive-in and eating a New York strip steak? I sure don't. But at the same time, I don't think of eating table service quality food when I go to a drive-in either. So you you have to make some some changes for that, I think. Yeah, and I was just thinking if they had, you know, kind of kitschy sci-fi names, uh, the way that they, you know, show weird B-movie clips and trailers and stuff, uh, that it would be a little bit more like, what the heck are you doing? But since they serve, you know, steak and, you know, whatever, and they don't call it like alien zip zap zoop burger or whatever, um, I guess, yeah, it makes a little more sense. I can kind of see where you're coming from where, you know, this is the pilot restaurant anyway. And so it just, they kind of have to be, they kind of have to be able to cover all their bases and see if people even care to eat, uh, a really nice, you know, finely prepared egg meal or whatever. It makes sense now. It'll make a lot less sense if Brown Derby and uh, Hollywood and Vine start having, or, or Hollywood and Vine starts having an, an adult-oriented breakfast, or if Brown Derby starts serving breakfast at all. It would make a lot less sense, but I think you're right. So you're saying you don't want Brown Derby to have chicken and waffles? I think if Brown Derby had chicken and waffles, it would have to be done up a bit and i wonder if they didn't pilot this at brown derby because they were afraid to class down brown derby that's a very good possibility and would it have been 45 dollars there it probably would have but i wonder if sci-fi dining theater is is 
mid mid range enough that they're not worried about making it seem too fancy and they're not worrying about making it seem too just crappy. Right. And now here's the thing though. If this is still going on, the next time I find myself in the parks, which I don't know when that's going to be right now, and that does make me a little bit sad, but I think that I would sign up for this. And for and for one reason that does not involve breakfast. The one reason is that if I go ahead and I make that, uh, you know, they're ser- they serve breakfast from 8 to 10.15, uh, if I make that 8 o'clock reservation, I can actually get through the gates at 7.45 and walk all the way down to Sci-Fi Dine-In, which means that I'm going to have some very unique opportunities to get photos with nobody else around, which to me, to me is a huge advantage right there. I mean, think about it. You're paying $24, you get breakfast, and you also get to get a photo right there on Hollywood Boulevard with nobody else around, really, except for, you know, the few other people who might be going to breakfast. Have you seen the pictures people who have... Eight o'clock reservations at Be Our Guest have been taken of Main Street in the yes, mornings. And that's what makes me want to get one of those Amazing. and also get one at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So, but you've got to make sure you get the early reservation because Rope Drop is returning to Disney's Hollywood Studios or has returned to Disney's Hollywood Studios now. So the, the street is empty now, but as of 8.30, people will now actually be back on the streets again. Now, I didn't know that Hollywood Studios ever had a rope drop. I just figured it was always gated. No, they they did at one point. I don't know when they took it away, to be honest with you, because I feel like sometime, I feel like even sometime last year they had rope drop. Uh, But, you know, I could be wrong about that. Disney tries so many different things that it might have been that they were trying rope drop for a little while uh, and and just decided not to go with it or whatever. But but we do know that rope drop is is back. Uh, WDW Magic covered this story uh, and said that uh, actually, uh, I think pretty much like a week ago now, uh, Disney Hollywood Studios returned to the old rope drop opening procedure on all non EMH uh, or non EMH days, and you would be allowed through the gates now at eight thirty a.m. onto Hollywood Boulevard, going as far as fifties prime time. Uh, Men and Bill's Dockside and the Trolley Car Cafe with ropes at each of those locations. Uh, ropes would then drop at 8.45, and there would be a welcome announcement, and the cast will walk you to your attractions. Uh, which, as you said, Jeremy, is a change from what uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios had been doing, which is to keep everybody at the gates and let them in at the actual opening of the park. Or I think, you know, I think the actual opening time is like 9, but they let every, they, they, they let everybody do everything at 8.45 or whatever. It's interesting because uh, the difference between waiting inside the park and waiting in line at the turnstiles, waiting to scan your magic band when the park opens, there's a there's a huge difference in anticipation and, and fun and, you know, getting people psyched. And I, I think it's a really good idea to let people, you know, even if they didn't let them go as far as they are, but to be in that main kind of hub area of like right at the entrance of Hollywood studios, just letting them be in the park waiting, I think makes a huge difference to like the excitement level of someone in the morning. Yes. And, and now you don't have to get stuck behind that debt. And now I, I recognize this as well, it happens a whole different way with magic bands, but I remember back when ticketed, you know, ticketed was the way everybody did everything. Inevitably, at least one day I would get stuck behind that guy who had failed in the 30 minutes we had all been sitting there before the park opened to 
try to find everybody's ticket in his bag. And so then he would get to the gate and he'd be like, oh, I don't know where little Johnny's ticket is. Hold on. And he's digging through his backpack and, you know, frantically trying to find it. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm watching people go all around me and I'm stuck in this line. And I'm like, well, if I jump over there, maybe I can. But then you jump into that line and that line slows down. So you won't have to deal with that because you'll already be through the gates. And I won't be as frustrated at the guy who's trying to find his ticket or find little Johnny's <laughs> magic band or make sure his wrist is turned just the right way. Because I'm like, hey, I've got 15 minutes to get in here. Everybody's got to stop at the ropes anyway. No biggie. Um, so I like that aspect of it. The only aspect that I don't like is you are going to have a mass of people headed toward everything. And I, you know, and the gate somewhat filtered that and slowed that down because only X number of people could make it through the gates per second. Now all of those people will be sitting right at the rope. And as soon as the rope drops, everybody's free to go. And I just feel like no matter how many times you tell people not to run, no matter how much cast members walk in front of them, inevitably people just get crazy about being the first one to an attraction. And and that can be kind of dangerous. That's what I was about to say is people are going to run no matter what. No matter what you tell them to do, they're going to run. So, yeah, I can see that, and I can see how it might be dangerous for a cast member uh, who is walking, who is forced to walk, or even who is just standing still, kind of trying to direct people, you know, around them or or tell a, a guest where something is. That could lead to a dangerous situation. There's less choke points, I guess, in Hollywood studios. There's, It's a lot more open. And Magic Kingdom's got a lot more places where you kind of have to file into a, you know, four or five person wide line. Right. And, and, you know, and the funny thing is that while right now the only, well, now the two parks that have rope drop are Disney's Hollywood Studios and to some extent Animal Kingdom, because Animal Kingdom now kind of lets you through into that little oasis area. Uh, and then, you know, I think they do that like 15 minutes before and then lets it let everybody through. Uh, when the opening happens, uh, you know, when I worked at Epcot, there was a rope drop at Epcot and I think Magic Kingdom had already moved to the gated approach at that point. But Magic Kingdom actually, I think prior to maybe 2001 was rope drop as well. And they were actually let people, I think as far as the hub, um, maybe even, and they rope dropped from there. Were you allowed to shop? Yes. And that's, and that's, and that's one, I think huge advantage. And that's why Disney likes it is because. They can let people in the shops, you know, and, and I, for example, I think I saw somebody, you know, somebody was making a comment about, you know, the Disney's Hollywood Studios rope drop. And they said, well, now I no longer have to decide whether I'm going to go grab my Starbucks first or go wait in line for an attraction because I can go grab my Starbucks and then go, you know, and then by the time the rope drops, I'll be ready to go get in line for my attraction. Um, so I think that is an advantage to Disney. But, uh, you know, again, on the on the safety side of things. Uh, when I was working at Epcot, I actually had a uh, one of the other cast members from my area actually spent, a, I think, at least a month on disability uh, because of the rope drop. Essentially, the rope drop happened. Uh, a guest was uh, running through the uh, breezeway that's there between, you know, kind of that uh, the fountain area and uh, where Test Track, uh, Mission Space, all that stuff was. And guest was in a hurry mm-hmm. to get to Mission Space wasn't paying attention to where he was going, recognized her too late. She didn't recognize him in time and, you know, 
this little bitty girl, I mean, because she was, she was a small girl, and this was a big guy, just ran right into her, and she just bowled over. And like I said, had to spend about a month on disability from the uh, from the injuries that she sustained from that. So, you know, that's... I, I get why they're a little bit apprehensive to do rope drop, and I hope... I hope that there's some way of... Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say removing those risk factors because nothing you do can do that. I mean, honestly, letting people in through the gate doesn't remove that risk factor because somebody can still, as soon as they get through the gate, break off into a run, um, and it's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, if there, if there are ways of mitigating that, I hope Disney's looked into that because I do actually like the rope drop, and I do want to be have the rope drop, but I don't want uh, cast members or, or other guests, you know, put in danger because, I mean... You know, you don't want everybody like shoving into an area and then some little kid gets, you know, knocked over or something either. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see what kind of safety precautions they take. You know, maybe they create like artificial choke points to keep people to slow you down every couple of seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll see when we're actually over there again. But uh, but yeah, so the rope drops are back. Now, my question is, since the rope drops are back at Disney's Hollywood Studios, are we potentially going to see the rope drops come back to Epcot and Magic Kingdom? Well, not Magic Kingdom. You don't think so? The pre-show at Magic Kingdom is too important. I think it, it is worth more than letting people in early. I think that pre-show is, is better. I don't know about Epcot. They have, the, they have the big announcement. That's Epcot's pre-show. Big announcement. Right. And it, it's never struck me as a place that people are dying to get into the way that they would be at the magic kingdom or at hollywood studios so i don't know i don't i don't think so i think probably hollywood studios and animal kingdom are the parks where rope drop make makes sense to me so i guess for right now the moral of the story is uh <laughs> enjoy the rope drop at dhs um be happy it's there and uh and be careful i think that'll about do it for this week's episode um you can follow us on twitter we are at MTM Podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MTM Podcast. You can visit us on the web at missingthemouse.co. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. But until then, have a magical day.